0: Welcome to This Week in Lotus. The weekly roundtable discussion of all things social, collaboration, technology, and community. Here's your host,
1: Stuart McIntyre. This Week in Lotus, episode 70, recorded on Wednesday, 21st September 2011. What's the link between Glaciers and Enterprise Software? Paul Hobbs and Rob Novak join us to discuss enterprise architecture, the role quicker plays in social business, new products from Snaps, the release of Notes and Domino 853, and Rob's urgent appeal for a very critical situation. All this and more on This Week in Lotus. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. You can find this and other tech-related podcasts at techpodcast.com. Well, hello and welcome to This Week in Lotus. We're back for episode 70 of the weekly uh, Lotus Discussion podcast. I'm joined as ever by Darren Duke. Hello,
2: Darren. Hello, Stuart. 70, we are officially over the hill. <laughs> Three
1: score years and ten. It doesn't seem like 70 episodes. It seems to have gone awfully quickly.
2: It, it it doesn't. We just seem to get new digits on the front of them <laughs> every week. And it's like, how how do we even blow through 60? It doesn't even seem like, well yeah but i'm depressed
1: why are you depressed
2: friday is officially the last day of summer
1: oh seems like and yesterday we we're coming out of spring and into the summer
2: and i'm too old to be living in these cold countries <laughs> my, my bones creek so i'm only moving south at this point so don't be surprised if at some point we end up doing 12 and i'm in costa rica
1: <laughs> uh, i look forward to that day and talking to cold countries we're joined by somebody from lovely canada hello paul hobson Hello, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you. So how's life in Vancouver, Paul? Uh,
0: It's been uh, particularly dry, actually, for quite some time. It's not cold here, anyway. It's uh, much more like being back in the UK. It never gets cold in Vancouver. It's just the rest of the country that have to do that.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. I'm just reading your bio and seeing former glaciologist. Goodness me. Yes, that's me. Uh, I have no idea how I ended up falling
0: back into IT, but I I escaped IT for a while, went off to do glaciology and Earth observation. And then some claw dragged me back in.
2: It was, probably, it was probably IBM. You probably started watching IBM and it was a bit like watching a glacier.
1: Um, no comment. Now, now, Darren. Come on. Let's start optimistic. Start positive. <laughs>
0: it's, a, it's a bit of a dead-end job because there won't be that many glaciers left soon. So
1: oh, This is true. So tell us, tell us who you work for these days and what you do.
0: Uh, so you know, six months ago, moved out to Canada. I'm now working at the University of British Columbia. Uh, in vancouver and i've taken up a role as the director of the enterprise architecture effort here
1: and um we'll be hearing more about that in a little while so thanks for joining us today paul really appreciate it no problem and also joined by a man i've termed the godfather of the lotus community once before (laughs) sorry about that rob we're joined by rob novak how are you
3: i'm doing okay how are you
1: (laughs) Doing good, Rob. Do you want to tell us uh, what company you work for and what you do there?
3: I work for Snaps, and I am the chief bottle washer. I also (laughs) founded the company. We just entered our 15th year. Wow. Wow. 15 years and going strong. (laughs) Yes. well, You'd have been out for murder one by now. (laughs) Yes. Well, I wouldn't be drawing a pension like those of you who are 70.
1: (laughs) This is true. This is true. Great to have you on the call. Thanks for joining us, Rob. Sure. Thanks. So after a few weeks of uh, of doing live This Week in Lotuses and, and various other sort of slightly strange ones, we're going to get back to a, a fairly normal episode this week. We've got some really good stuff to cover. So we're just going to work through our list of topics as we ever do. And, and guys, jump in as and when you can. So Paul, let's kick off with you. Um, so you worked previously for, for Cardiff University, who many people on this or who listen to this podcast will know is a fairly big IBM customer, now a fairly major Canadian uni. Um, do you want to give us sort of a, a feel for how you see the social? collaboration landscape um you know you've been involved with lotus in the past you know what's going on where you are and what are you seeing people doing
0: um yeah so obviously having moved from cardiff from a major ibm shop to uh canada locally i'd say ubc have spent quite a number of years working with um all sorts of different pieces of open source software uh very highly federated setup in terms of it at this university so it's been small pockets of um, progress rather than being a coordinated effort up to a point. Um, I think probably a couple of years ago, still using open source, they made a much more positive move into uh, consolidating some of that work. Uh, and since the new CIO joined a couple of years ago, there's been uh, more of a move to standardize the sort of core applications and um, messaging software around Microsoft. So that's the sort of current landscape that we have right now. Um, We still have the situation where what we have on campus people use to a degree, but actually a lot of the action is taking place outside of campus. Uh, So it's, you know, systems that are available externally, certainly for the students, that uh, means Facebook, uh, probably more than anything else, Uh, and some faculty, have been trying to use external systems, but the complicating factor for us is actually the local um, geopolitics. So local law in BC at the province level means that we have a really tough time using systems that are hosted outside of BC uh, to the point that actually it's more complicated than even being back in Europe. So for uh, collaboration platforms, if they're hosted, um, if back in Europe, we had the issue of it, well, if it's hosted in the States, then that's problematic for us in terms of shipping data over there. Uh, that's completely off the cards for us here. We cannot ship data over the border to the U.S.
2: Um, I mean, that's I'm, very surprised I'm surprised Microsoft didn't offer the movie entire campus to Redmond and just fix that problem yeah.
0: Well, you know, uh, <laughs> they may just extend their reach up here and they'll probably just shift the border for Canada. That would be uh,
2: easy. <laughs>
1: I mean, speaking as a European, it, it, I kind of see you know the USA and Canada as being very tightly linked and you know and, and close and, and sharing stuff between them. So there really is a regulation you can't put stuff over the border.
0: Yeah, and I believe that came out of originally from provincial. The provincial view, I think, was around um, the uh, government basically looking to install a new healthcare system. So you know, take a particularly extreme use case in terms of the types of sensitive data that would be in a system and so the law that we have was formulated around the fact that it looked like you know a good option for a new healthcare system would be to put it with one of the major healthcare system providers in the US and so that obviously raised flags at the time and it seems that you know the knock on from that was that um the laws that have been uh, formulated out of that are pretty draconian because they're taking a pretty extreme end of the spectrum in terms of data sensitivity, uh, but obviously that affects everything that we do. And certainly for a university, uh, given that our entire outlook is pretty outwardly focused and uh, collaborating with other universities globally, that leads to um, quite some difficulty.
2: And it's not as easy as you think to it. Like for instance, we, do, we will not sell hardware or software into Canada um because of the issues around that i don't know if rob's ever ran into anything like that but we won't touch you with a badge ball
3: i'll pretty much work for anybody (laughs) (laughs) so so why is that because of
1: taxes or because of selling regulations
2: well it's taxes and, and even in america it's even hard because every state is changing its laws right now to wring more money out and 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 you know, per state, per city, even per counties can have different sales rates and adding in a whole different country on top of that, you know, kind of blows uh, the the accountant's heads wide open because they have, you know, on the SMB side, they have no concept of what it would take to work over the border, even though in some circumstances, the border is literally one side of the high street to the other. It, it would still be astronomically difficult for us to do it legally.
1: Interesting. Well, I never knew that. So that's good information. And and Paul, your your job title there is Director of Enterprise Architecture, which is something that I, I've not come across apart from actually dealing with you at the two universities you've been at. So do you want to yeah. tell us what, is the, what does that job role actually encompass?
0: Okay, so um, my position reports into the Chief Information Officer here. Uh, and the reason why they've gone for an architecture practice in UBC is uh, mainly because they've looked at you know, the the years of development they've had across campus in spinning up IT systems and looking at what the value return on that is in the the current day and realizing that there's a job of work to do to try and actually um, clean up some of the uh, uh, sort of spread of technologies that they have across the board. So quite a lot of it is looking at things like our application portfolio and doing more management around that, starting to lifecycle technologies more appropriately. And it's sort of I guess, more basic hygiene that you would see to a degree more readily out in uh, commercial sector, uh, not so much in university sector. So the, the kind of issues that we have around the bloom of technologies in the university here are echoed elsewhere. I mean, it's a similar situation in the UK, which is why they started up the enterprise architecture pilot nationally there as well. So officially... Um, My role is keeper of the architecture for the university, so getting agreement around the direction that we want to take as a business and um, looking at the kinds of processes and data that we need to be able to enable that. And then from that, extrapolate out to what kind of technologies do we need to be able to support that. Looking at what we have right now, does it fulfill that? No, we have gaps. Okay, so uh, go out then to select new technologies um, to be able to fill those gaps. So that's it on paper. It's a, uh, a, a, theoretically, it's quite a sort of easy, conceptually, I should say it's quite an easy um, job in reality. Obviously, that's um, a little bit more difficult. So, partly, I work as uh, a Babelfish. So, I'm a universal translator in between uh, stakeholders across campus. And my group are uh, wearing out shoe leather um, in terms of shuttling between Different working groups and taking in people's different viewpoints on where we should be heading, and, and trying to make some sort of sense of that. So the actual act, the actual work is uh, much more people and business focused than it is it focused
1: interesting i think of a few commercial organizations that that need that kind of role because you you tend to end up so easily with so many different silos or different business practices who do things their own way and and i guess that role is all about kind of straddling those and bringing them together and i I kind of think when you talk about enterprise architecture as being the sort of heavy lifting transactional kind of applications would you include social software and collaboration software like connections and quicker and notes and domino in in the, the types of technology you work with only if you think of enterprise being uh enterprise
0: in the sense that uh that's where IBM or others would sell software into um there's there's no real sort of scale attached to enterprise when we talk about it um from our perspective so it may well be departmental it could be line of business based it doesn't have to be you know the boundary of UBC so certainly the software does play a role in there uh, it depends on the kinds of principles and objectives that the business has. So for us, then, yes, at the moment, centralizing more of our technologies and, and uh, trimming the fat and sort of cutting down on the number of uh, supported platforms, then, yes, enterprise in that sense means that, um, uh, yeah, getting to a, a sort of common standard uh, set of core applications would be a good thing. So it would fit in that sense.
1: And then, um, you know, looking at academia, you yeah, know, we, we've had – Folks from Cardiff and City, uh, universities in the UK and also Marie Scott from, um, you know, Virginia Commonwealth. I think she's at, and, and uh, when, when we've had discussions about, um, you know the vendors available it seems to be that academia tends to get offered quite a lot of of options for for free or or for very very cheap like google seem to be very aggressive in that space offering their cloud-based services for for very low cost is that something that you're seeing at your your university and does that put pressure on the kind of investments that you've made in the past into technology that you host on premise?
0: Uh, Absolutely yeah Um, I mean I think the generally, the the strategy of most of the vendors that are supplying notionally free um, services is to not really talk to IT about that. It's usually bypassing IT and talking to uh, more senior business leaders. And, um, you know, it's, it's um, a pretty compelling case if you look at it in terms of, okay, the kind of service offerings that are there, could we do the same in-house for equal cost or cheaper? Uh, you know, very good universities, yes, they could probably do that but then from a business perspective you look at it as a value add you know could could you add the same value for the same cost internally uh, or could you use your resource internally to add better value somewhere else and that's really where the conversation is starting to head towards Um, in terms of uh, is it the right thing for universities to do it's kind of depends on how complex an organization you've got and how capable they are. So, you know, one of the things that I think is pushing people into making for them what seems like an easy choice is really looking at the capability and maturity of uh, their organization to be able to run services Mm -hmm. themselves. So uh, going back to talking about some of the uh, major software stacks, so looking at things like connections and quicker, um, we have to also take into account how complex a task it is to run those as services uh, in terms of adding value to a university. Uh, quite a lot of the time, if you've got staff who have been at universities for a good length of time, if they're you know greying in terms of their career, actually having them have the requisite skills to be able to run this software is likely not to happen. So it requires an awful lot of investment in terms of retraining or looking at a different model in terms of how to service those technologies. And so if you bring that into the mix and, you know, okay, we need new staff or we need to train staff where we need to grow this as a new service, you know, we really start to get to that um, situation where if somebody's offering similar functionality for less cost externally, then you know, there's a fairly compelling case for universities to go, you know what, we'll cut our losses and actually start looking at um, the external services, notwithstanding okay. the geopolitical problems.
1: Interesting. And and Rob, do do you deal with any universities and academic institutions? Are are you seeing those kind of pressures as well?
3: I have. um, you know, Of course, I have friends who work at universities, and as well, we've had a couple of clients that are universities, and they have basically uh, said the same thing, that that cost is king in most of those, um, and situations uh, in the private university where I did do some work once, there was even that kind of pressure there even though they were their coffers were quite full um, they had the same pressures the similar pressures because of the uncertainty of the upcoming semesters and uncertainty of the upcoming years in terms of revenue from the states or revenue from um, from tuition
0: and certainly in the public That's universities it. in North America Canada and Europe then that situation is far worse now than it was six years ago so you know there's a a real outcome to the economic downturn that's starting to impact even the, the relatively lean capital that was coming into universities. that That's just not there
3: anymore. Right. And in, in, in the US, I, I guess I could say that in most states, uh, public universities and education uh, in general is supported by uh, property taxes. There are a number of states that do not have property taxes, so I think four or five. But in most states, Property taxes support education. Um, In some states where lotteries are legal, that also supports education. But as you can imagine, um, politicians are uh, quite often pressed to reduce property taxes. And um, whenever they succumb to the will of the people, uh, they end up having to cut somewhere.
2: And, and, And I think Paul touched on something else, and that's the complexity here. Um, you know, we we, talk, we touched on this uh, probably about 10 or 12 episodes ago where these systems uh, are far more complicated and sophisticated than they were just 10 years ago. And I, I think that has some bearing too. But if I can just offshore this, for want of a better word, and offshore maybe the next town over, maybe the next country over, if I can offshore some of this management, then as, as Paul said, I can save a ton of money in not retraining.
1: It's absolutely right. And, and, you know, it's always going to be pressures to, to. You know, to to save money, isn't aren't there? And whether that's move to the cloud or move to offshore or just move to simplification, then uh, you yeah, know it's bound to be pushing all kinds of organisations in that direction. And and I guess as as well to try and get better productivity out of the employees or the users that you have in your institution. I, I guess that might move us on to to social business. Rob, you know, IBM's focus um since Lotosphere really has been around social business. We obviously had the theme for Lotosphere and and there's been a big kind of push towards you know get social, do business since then in terms of the events and, and the marketing that IBM is doing. You're, you're well known as a Lotus Quicker expert and your company is, is really the, the go-to partner for Lotus Quicker worldwide. Do you see Lotus Quicker fitting into that kind of social business category that IBM is going after?
3: I do, but I, I think I put more emphasis on business than social when we're talking about Quicker. Um, the use cases that we've seen for Quicker don't really tend towards the uh, the truly... Uh, social aspects of social business I guess I would say, at least not yet. Um, I think that will change in the future um, I think that the product will be enhanced to become more of a citizen with the social aspects of say connections and and um, same time and the integration points will lend themselves more to that but I've seen more business process, extranet um Project use, temple project use, out of quicker than anything else. It's uh, it's definitely a get your work done type of product, and so I, I'd say it's it's part of social business, but um, the capital letters around business.
1: And Darren is the other go-to partner around that does quicker. Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I would. I think I think quicker is the the thing where you go to, uh, to document your procedures and and like Rob said, you know, internet, extranet, it's, it's very easy to do inside, outside and quicker and, and connections is not there yet for that kind of functionality. Um, I, I also think, you know, maybe the, the word social is maybe a bit of an overplay for, for, for quicker because it's, it's not really built for that. And, and I also think, You know, reading between the lines, I I think there's a lot of overlap between the two products, which if you look at it, generally there is overlap. But if you take them separately, I I think you see that some of the overlap is is maybe more confusion than than, than reality. So I think IBM could do a slightly better job of, of elaborating which product is best for which scenario, which I still don't think we've ever got kind of a good public answer for. And it's easy and it's easy to get and it's easy to get up and running. Uh, you know, as uh, quick a day is on Domino. Uh, you know, you can get a server up and running in you know, an hour, and that's that's if you do it wrong. Twice.
0: <laughs> I mean I think that's a situation that's not just unique to IBM's offerings. That's a um certainly around enterprise software suppliers, if you look at the big suppliers, that story is repeated across all of them that uh, you have uh product lines have come along in sort of maturity of development where they've uh, bled out across each other's territory. Uh and so that confusion is um pretty much across that market completely.
2: Yeah, and, and one of the ones I like to use is, oh, you want a wiki? Uh what type of wiki do you want to buy? And they get the little pocketbook out and they show you the twelve different types of wiki product they have. And and the poor customer has no idea. All they all they found was that they were told they needed a wiki. They had no different idea it was on different platforms.
1: And I guess, you know, that's something, Paul, you're still seeing, uh, you know, in the Microsoft area, I guess, with SharePoint. is a classic, isn't it? SharePoint could be anything from, you know, just a file server, you know, forward to the current day. Or it could be, you know, a content management system or some people see it as as being a real social platform. And and I guess it's, it's, it's tricky as a customer to really work out where each of these offerings really sits and what job it can do for your organization. Well, it's sort
0: of tricky to work it out in the first place in terms of getting agreement, but it's also then tricky to contain it without, you know, appropriate governance in place to do that. So, I wouldn't even say in a university, it's um we have a lot more opportunities than most other places in that we have um, quite a lot of choice across campus in the sort of tools that people are running, particularly around collaboration. Uh, and so, you know the the which wiki do you want? We we have that in spades because people have enough freedom and enough space and enough knowledge to actually spin up uh, any software that they can get their hands on, and so um, we're in a much more fragmented position in the, in this sector than um, probably most commercial sectors are. But the, the problems are still the same. If you actually try and address that problem and go back to a supplier and say, well, you know, all, all we want to do is solve this problem. This is the problem. Somebody please solve it for me. But if then you get somebody coming back with a software catalog going, well, you know, here you go. Which choice of color do you want in these 15 flavors of wiki <laughs> that we do? Uh, and you a typical car salesman that uh, having paid the uh, cost for the car, you then realize that actually you've just paid an extra 15,000 for all the extras that have been hooked on on top. So it's um, not an easy buy from a customer's point of view, because uh, as well as sort of choosing the technologies, there's the whole business aspect of actually shifting to a different way of working and having people buy into that and use it effectively, so you know the, I guess uh, across the HE sector there's a lot of examples of where rapid adoption has taken place and then quickly stalled to be replaced by rapid adoption again, so it's you know pretty short cycles
1: and well bringing it back to to quicker um you know uh, y- I guess you've you've been known as as the quicker Domino, um, you know, partner really. In, in terms of some of the solutions you've developed around quicker Domino, and you've made available either as open source or or you know for free download, or else um, you know that that you package together as, as products. Um, it, it looks as though quicker Domino is is kind of winning out in some ways over quicker Java uh, in in terms of futures for the product. D- does that kind of make you happier in terms of just having the one version of quicker that you can really focus on going forward?
3: I think so I you know we've installed configured given seminars on QuickerJ, J um, but the the differences between the two were really so, quite so great in terms of uh, customization making it uh, making it do what you want uh, enabling business processes ease of men- member management things like that and um, of course under the covers with administration they're completely different animals um, so I, I think if Quicker J uh, doesn't go away, it's going to be a um, um, a much smaller player than it was originally touted to be. Um, I've spoken to people who said, "Why did we have these products? They made them look the same for a year and a half, and then we have two different looking products, uh, behaving and looking."
2: And and now yeah. you have two different
3: renewals. That's, that's right, and that's a very good point. With 851, they broke them out into two different product names. It's quicker for DomNum, quicker for Rumser Portal. So you actually end up going to something like, say, Fix Central to get a fix pack, and you get to choose between the two now.
1: And, Rob, in, in, in those use cases where customers have, have come to you and, and you proposed a Quicker for Domino solution to them, you know, maybe one that you've developed yourselves, what, what type of use case is it that, that really makes Quicker the, the winner in that type of scenario? What, what does Quicker do really well?
3: Quicker does, you know, it's, it's, you see Quicker thrown out there with no management, uh, no governance, and you see it fail. If you see Quicker thrown out with management, governance, and a strategy behind its use for the business part of social business, then we see that as being the, the best ROI. Um, the tendency for Quicker to, to win, and, and I don't mean competitively, but I mean for it to actually provide a, a real nice solution in ROI, um, is, is in companies that understand how to exploit those capabilities or can find somebody who can help them do it, obviously. Uh, build out business processes, use workflow, uh, approvals, uh, get components that make quicker behave the way you want it to and enable your folks to work um, and get their work done faster. I can give you some concrete examples. I mean, there was a – and one of the big four auditing firms was rolling out new auditing software worldwide, and we wrote a system whereby all of their audit teams of, you know, five or six people around the world um, – and there were thousands of those, uh, used quicker places to put in their ideas and suggestions, and those got rolled up into reports. Those got rolled up from seven regions around the world into a single um, report, and then after that, uh, top management could decide what to do in terms of their um, software support for the auditing system. We've, we've done crazy things like Creating um, creating timesheets to record payroll. I mean, it's it's the nuttiest stuff, but it's got great value.
1: And Paul, know, yeah, looking back to to the university you were at before, you know that 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 university getting great value out of um, you know particularly the extranet side to it, you know because. HE I guess and, and maybe you can validate this is, is very much looking outside at, at relationships between you know lecturers in one university and, and in another or with businesses you're doing research with and that's that's the kind of area where Codomno really works well because you can just add in those external users it, it, I mean are you seeing that kind of need in, in, in the types of technology you're putting together at, at your university now? yeah i think it's uh, i mean that's pretty much
0: sector wide if you're if you're a global research university um you you tend to act as more of an umbrella organization so you're quite loosely coupled internally um and your faculty members are much more tightly linked across institutions because they're working on you know specific thematic areas of research so they tend to work together uh, much more closely than they would work between departments within a university so that's where you know, the sort of federated identity access, uh, and access management um, is particularly strong in the HE sector. So um, certainly for collaboration platforms, that's something to consider. And it was always, a you know, a, an aim of the work that we did back in Cardiff to make sure that we were able to do that.
1: And Rob, some of those um, solutions, you're now turning into packages, which has been really interesting to see. I know you've had a series of blog posts that have gone through some of the, the new offerings. Do you want to talk us through some of those and what they do?
3: Sure. Um of course, we've, we've got the free offerings of Quicker templates for the previous versions, 8.1 and 8.2, um, some other nice Adobe Air applications and Snap Files, which is um, up for the iPhone and iPad um, devices in order to retrieve documents from Quicker and ECM systems. But what we have done is we've taken some of the best assets that we've ever worked with, whether it's for projects or what have you, and have turned them into products that are really high-value productivity products. So I'll just go through the list. There's, And you'll notice a trend here. Um, snap views, which is uh, basically you can dynamically surface any kind of view. A view from quicker, from a folder, from a domino database, uh, from a relational database if you're using LEI or, or DEX or something like that. And you can surface that right in quicker. So um basically getting all your data from anywhere into a quicker place. Uh, We have a a trash manager. Um, You note that in Quicker 8.5, there's a new feature called Trash, basically making Quicker behave a lot like a mail client. Um, But the one thing that they didn't do was to manage that trash. The manager has to go in and delete it. So uh, we came up with a utility to give you a choice as an administrator of how many days you want to keep it, and then it gets rid of it. Um, we have one called uh, Snap Map, which is a site map for Quicker. And uh, this comes out of an old product that we built back in 2003. And it was very much this uh, similar um, uh, concept, of course, uh, but you know, pops up a little window with a Windows Explorer like tree structure to navigate the place in the browser underneath. But uh, I, I, I guess
2: about... I, I, I would <laughs> bet that's going to be your top seller because. I, I yeah. That That value has disappeared out of eight five,
3: yeah, and I mean this is this is completely outside of the uh, table of contents, you know, so it's a it's a separate little floating window that you can expand down six rooms deep and two folders deep into that and go directly to a document without having to navigate through the place um and the the newness about it you know we could have done it the way we did before which was you have a form in every place and you have to do something to the theme and so on and so forth but the newness about it is now it's a plug server-wide that we can throw on any server and it'll automatically show up everywhere uh, we have one called snap links which uh, those who were at Lotusphere may have seen an example of this And that's a social media links plugin for the CK editor, which is the new rich text editor in in place across all of the Lotus product line, including Domino with X pages and quicker and connections. And uh, basically, um, Snap Links gives you an extra little button in your editor that lets you put in automatic links to the social media networks, Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and LinkedIn and so on and so forth.
1: Um, course, I, I, i've been moving to um that editor across the board aren't they for connections and, and domino as well C- can you make that same add-in on those platforms as well
3: yes yes in fact uh, we've already done quicker next pages and i'm working on getting that uh, implemented in connections as a plugin it uh, should, be, should be done shortly uh we have a collection of widgets um that are productivity add-ons for Quicker Domino, and then those are the five that I already announced on my blog, but there's six more and I'll run through the first three real quick, because they're pretty obvious, uh, Snap Wiki, Snap Blog, and Snap Combo. Um, you might be familiar with the, uh, if you've been around Quicker, back to the QuickPlace Place days, uh, we developed the original Blogging Wiki for Quick Place in 2006, and IBM then licensed it for Quicker in 2007. Um, didn't do a lot with it other than fixes and for 485 kind of using the old 8.2 rendering engine uh, we have completely refactored the blog and the wiki as native 8.5 applications and put together a combo of a regular place of blog and wiki. Um, um, two of the templates have evolved, the templates from quicker templates um, the photos and contacts into snap images and snap contacts those are again also Native 8.5. And then the last one uh, is is one that's uh, really interesting. It's called Snap Builder, and it lets you manage rooms um, across the entire server. So whatever you have access to, you can manage those rooms and uh, copy rooms from one place to another, um, inherit membership, and it plugs in natively to the administration screen. Uh, as soon as uh, you get in quicker, it's right there for you. So,
2: so that's, so that's all. just just 11?
3: Just, just, <laughs> just 11, yes. Um, I'm actually working with another partner on a uh, on a 12th product that will be a joint um, effort, um, and it has to do with archiving. That's all yeah, I can say. And
1: do you have an ETA for that?
3: Uh, it's No, not yet. It's being implemented in an... Um 98% complete fashion for one client right now. And uh, the last 2%, of course, always takes 80% of the time. So we'll find out soon.
2: It's not called enterprise development for nothing. <laughs> no, exactly.
1: <laughs> and Robin, I'm enjoying the dogs in the background. It's becoming a regular theme on this week in Lotus after last week. So
3: <laughs> There's no IBMer. There's no yeah. IBMer. I I apologize for that, but my wife and I foster dogs. We've had about forty through our house in the last three years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Adding to the atmosphere. And um and Darren, uh, just lasting on quicker. Um, I think a a is it a new fix pack that's coming very soon? Uh, announces kind of a, a move towards ActiveX again. How how do you feel about that? Because because a big thing of eight was removing ActiveX from the user experience of quicker. Do you see that as a as a big deal going back to that again?
2: Well, two two things, three things, maybe five things, but we'll get to that in a second. So, so one is the fix pack. Fix pack eight came out yesterday, so that's live and kicking. Now, the rumor on the street, and maybe Rob has some insider knowledge here, that I, I, I'm not privy to because IBM hate me nowadays. Um, and hopefully this isn't under NDA. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it is because I mm. was asked about by a customer, so we can't be. Uh, but if it is. yeah we let it out we'll check on this (laughs) um but the 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 problem is that activex was actually removed from the new places and that apparently broke a whole host of applications that people had (laughs) developed and they couldn't get the stuff in and out so the rumor was they were going to put activex back in and make it a place option to turn on ActiveX or off, um, as opposed to just yanking it out for all 8.5 places, which I think has caused, at least me, I, I've I've seen some problems where we've done 8.2 and 8.1 to 8.5 conversions where users, the only way they know how to get stuff into quicker is to drag it to the little ActiveX component. Um, so I, I think this is a, a pretty big deal. I think it's a step in the right direction. If they leave it as optional, I think that gives everybody the best flexibility, and unfortunately for IBM, um, you know they did the right thing—they pulled out ActiveX. I just think if if they'd asked me, I would have said pull out ActiveX. But if you think about it, the the option should have been give me the option to turn off ActiveX, not necessarily pull it out. And I think that was a mistake. But you know, I'll, I'll stand up. I was a design partner. I didn't tell IBM that it was a bad idea. I thought it was a good idea, but in hindsight, it turns out that. You know, ActiveX was used by some very big, very uh, important customers. And that was a mistake on all of our parts, I think.
1: Well, one of the reasons why ActiveX was um, removed originally, I think, is that the issue that you had to. Um, basically allow that in your security policies for your desktop users for them to be able to use that ActiveX in IE. And, and I guess that outlined particularly in, in, again, HE type environments. You don't tend to have that control over your users desktops because it, it may be a kind of bring your own type, um, you know, way of policing, uh, particularly student desktops. I imagine where they can use Macs and Linux and, and so on. How, how do you control desktops there? I mean, it, 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 is that an issue for you as well? uh
0: it is, yeah, and I, I think you know sector wide increasingly so in that actually desktop management is going away to some degree um so here we've had a program of work to uh spin up v d i quite broadly, um but its again is mainly around the administration side we although we offer it to anybody that wants to come along and use it um, it's a problem that we're seeing more and more so you know, beginning of this school year in canada people turning up with three devices all of which are on our wireless network all of which they're using to get at stuff uh to do their work uh none of those we have any control over whatsoever so you know uh, from a security standpoint we can partition the network and we can do vpn and things like that but we have no um Right or control over any of the hardware that people are bringing. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of places are also starting to see that with staff and are putting together the bring your own device policies. But when it comes back to ActiveX, then yeah, that's a, that's a, it seems to be a bit of a perennial problem. And I did think it would be going away. I thought, you know, even from Microsoft's perspective, then uh, shifting more uh, away from having to be reliant upon ActiveX. But uh, evidently not, it's back with us.
2: I think the ties back down specifically to the office suite is is really what's hurting people as far as actually being able to completely pull the plug on it. And again, I want to say I was very vocal in my praise for IBM doing this, so I'm as much to blame on anyone else for screwing it all up. Uh, But the other thing I wanted to touch on was um, I'm not exactly sure if the ActiveX fix is in fix pack 8. Uh, that's what I was led to believe, but I haven't seen anything in in the in the gold documentation to make me think it is. So before you run out and install Fix Pack Eight thinking it's going to add in back in ActiveX, um, I would issue a PMR with IBM and double check because it, at least it's not documented as such right now
1: okay and and we're coming to the end of our time, so let's wrap up with a, a couple of uh, things to finish. First of all, Ed Burrell has blogged that uh eight five three is coming very soon. October the fourth in fact, has been named as the release date. There's some uh, pretty impressive new stuff in there, not least some changes to licensing, which um I don't think we've got time to cover today, but I think is is quite interesting in terms of some of the changes there that I believe there's a um a Lotus user group webcast coming up down. Do you know anything about that that that's going to cover these things?
2: There, there's a couple. Um, there's an invite-only one, so if you've got an invite, you're in,
3: <laughs>
2: um, which I think is on the 27th of September. Um, and then there is a org one, which I got the other day and is in my email, but um, not in my email, so I can't tell you the exact
1: date. Yeah, day. I've got it here. So it's October the 6th, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Okay. So, so that's going to be Ed Brill, Jason Dumont, Pete Jansen, and uh, Jan Kenny running through uh, some of the major changes there. So that's definitely something to be aware of. We'll put a link in the show notes for those that want to attend that one.
2: And th- th- like Stuart said, there's some good uh, potential fixes. You know, it's gold. It's not gold yet. So what I say may not make it in a product. Just to adhere to my agreement that I signed with IBM. Uh, my favorite, obviously, is the moving of the full text indexes out of a Domino data directory. Thank you, IBM. Kudos to you
1: and the kudos award for this week goes to
2: um <laughs> <Appreciate> <laughs> <indeed. it. laughs>
1: and just to close off um rob uh you blogged very interestingly um a week or so back didn't you uh, in fact i think you titled it you know the most important blog post you've ever written so do you want to take through uh, take us through why that was uh, such an important blog post for you
3: Yes, of course. Um, Many of you out there know Troy Reimer, who's worked for Snaps for nine years, and I've known him for 16. He was actually one of my instructors. Um, In fact, two of the guys who worked for me were my original Lotus instructors. And uh, Troy was one of them back in 1995, and uh, he and his family suffered quite a blow early this year in that one of his four children, um, seven-year-old Matthew Reimer, was diagnosed with a... um, a disease called childhood uh, x-linked adrenoleukodystrophy and they call that XALD for short and for obvious reasons Um, but it's a it's a very serious condition uh, that many children don't recover from Um, it only occurs in boys uh, usually between the ages of five and nine and um, he has this condition uh, he has it in in a very early stage um, which is very good um, because he's susceptible to some treatments um One of them is called Lorenzo's Oil, uh, which was a movie back in the 90s. Yeah. And this treatment is still experimental, believe it or not, uh, 20 years later. And Matthew got admitted to a experimental program um, with, I think, a month to spare before he turned eight, which would have disqualified him. Uh, but anyway, uh, long story short, over the next five to six years, there are going to be many trips, uh, many Specialists, many unanticipated um, types of uh, activities that have to happen uh, medically with Troy and his four kids and his wife. And so, um, with Matthew likely requiring a bone marrow transplant in the future, uh, what I did was I've requested that uh, some donations for Matthew's medical expenses. be made and those can be made through PayPal um, yeah. you can go to my yeah. blog there's a button there uh, and the button will become permanent on the right very soon uh, or if you feel more comfortable doing it yourself miracle at gmail.com is the address to send a donation to but also um, Matthew because he's going to need a bone marrow transplant he's registered with a bone marrow registry at www.marrow.org um, And we encourage all U.S. or Puerto Rico citizens who are in good health and can make a commitment to donate if someone needs it to go ahead and register there. All they do is they send you a little kit. You swab your cheek and send it back, and then you're registered as a bone marrow donor. So um, with uh, my heartfelt request, uh, I hope that folks out there uh, have the opportunity to visit the blog entry uh, go uh, to some of the links um, look at the stories that uh, these these kids have been through and um, you know give anything you can five dollars, whatever it takes
1: absolutely and you know many of us will know troy uh you know i've certainly met him a number of times at Lotusphere and uh you know collaboration University and so on and you just have to you know, can't imagine what he must be going through at the moment in his family and, and wish them all well and encourage everybody to to give what they can and and to take part i know in the uk there's a bone marrow registry called the anthony nolan appeal uh, but again put links in the show notes for that and you know again for other kids that are in the same kind of situation so um so thanks for going through that with us rob that's great and best wishes to Troy and all the family. So as usual, we uh, will finish this podcast with a tip from each of our um, guests, which is it could be a site, a feature, just a, a kind of policy or a way of working that uh, they want to pass on to you, the listener. So as ever, we'll start with Darren. Do you want to kick us off?
2: A useful one, yes. The sky <laughs> is blue, the angels are singing, and the orchestra just strums up. Um, so this was from a few months ago, but I've just got around to remembering about it. But I was at a customer site that um, has rolled out Traveller. And their security guys got a bit uh, overly zealous and decided that they wanted a five or six-digit passcode on their devices. So if you think about that for a second, if you have an iPhone and you lock your iPhone by yourself, you have the option of putting a four-digit cord in. So that basically means you need two hands or two thumbs to do your code. One, you gotta go find the code, and two, you gotta do it. Now, if you also make the alphanumeric, that then pushes further burden onto the poor user. um And the same is kind of true with the Android, with your swipe kind of shapy password. So if you're gonna put passwords on your devices, I'm not saying it's a bad idea to do that, it's a good idea to do that. Just make sure that you are making it easy for your users to unlock said password. Because this customer saw a whole host of people come in and ask to have traveller removed from their devices because of this.
1: Interesting, and and I imagine you know certainly a number of times I unlock my iPhone. I can I can imagine that if that is an irritating thing to do, it's going to become incredibly, you know, incredibly irritating just over a few days of having to do it every two minutes. So
2: imagine having to put a letter in to your password on an iPhone. Yeah. And, yeah, and they, having to
1: switch between cases and you know, yeah, and so on, uh-huh. is, it's a big deal. So yeah, really yeah. good tip. So, Thank you, Darren.
2: So, so the real tip is make sure it's on the security officer of a CEO's phone first to let them suffer through all of this. And then they'll come back and say, <laughs> let's just go back to a four-digit password.
1: <laughs> good stuff. Thanks, Darren. And Rob, do you have a tip for us?
3: I do. I have three. I have, uh, my pragmatic tips, of course, are wearing sunscreen and brushing twice daily. But uh, my most cynical tip, I would say, has to be: with, uh, you get to brush with sunscreen. What? <laughs> my my cynical tip, um, and to an unnamed government agency, is: don't try and trick me into thinking you have three Domino servers in the same domain when you use three different certifier IDs with the same name. So um, so question: Did this, this really happen? It took a day and a half to figure it out. <laughs> Uh, but my serious, my serious uh, tip is: uh, fix packs. Get fix packs. Um, Darren's wrong. Get the fix packs. Install the fix packs um, two days after the rest of the world does. <laughs> <laughs> because by then people have heard about it. But uh, I've taken for for our um, our snap files uh, product. I've taken. I think, I don't know, 15 or 20 problem reports and almost every single one of them was, they weren't up to the fixed pack that was in the documentation, so. Excellent, great tip, thank you, Rob.
1: Um, Paul, what's your tip for us?
0: Uh, So mine's actually um, stolen slightly from (laughs) um, being at a Gartner conference earlier this year listening to Mike Rollings, one of their... um, Uh, really good analysts actually around enterprise architecture Uh, and just something he said resonated with me and has continued to resonate ever since Uh, that line was along the lines of foster the thinking and not the devotion and whilst at the time it was um, you know pointedly in the enterprise architecture space i think it's broadly applicable particularly in it and particularly coming up with uh solutions to customer problems that if we're going to uh actually solve problems for our customers and help change thinking, it'd be a much better thing to do than continuing to devote our time into devotion of just products.
2: And it's always interested me that we call IT changes, conversions, which is also what we call changing religions.
1: This is true. Excellent. It gives us all something to think about because I know a lot of us consider ourselves yellow bleeders and that kind of thing. So um, foster the thinking, not the devotion. Great tip. And Paul, I know you've got a hard finish, got to go very soon. So do you want to tell us where do people find you? Do you have a Twitter idea, a blog that people can follow? Uh, Yeah, well, Twitter is probably the best place to find me. Uh, It's
0: about the only place I actually have time to do anything (laughs) these days. So uh, Twitter handle is Paul D.
1: Hobson. Excellent. And your Twitter yeah, avatar is no longer a picture of Yorkshire tea, I notice. Uh,
0: no, that's because I've actually run out of Yorkshire tea. I need to go and buy some more. Uh, it so should be a Canadian
2: yes. goose now.
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Tea. My, you know, If it's not tea, then it's not worth talking about.
1: <laughs> great. Thank you for joining us, Paul. If you need to go, uh, feel free to head off. But thank you so much for joining us.
0: Okay. Thanks, guys. It's been fun.
1: It's great. And just to conclude the tips, uh, mine is that um, – facebook's been in the news once again today because of some of their changes to their news feed that facebook users tend to hate there's been some pretty vitriolic comments not least from me on facebook today but something they rolled out um i guess last week or so maybe a little bit earlier on windows but certainly last week on the mac was integration with skype um so now your facebook chat can be integrated with skype so when you go into skype um now on the mac you see a list of your facebook friends and what kind of status is and you can talk to them on skype um the nice thing is you also get your Facebook chat messages come through to your Skype client. I don't know about you, but I would much rather be doing that kind of IM chat in Skype than I would in the Facebook browser. So um, that works really, really well for me. I spend a lot of time in Skype. That that suits my needs. So if if you're on both Facebook and on Skype, uh, do have a look at where the integration lies and make sure you're running the latest version of the Skype client as well. So that's it for our tips. Um, as ever, we will just quickly go around the table. Paul's already given his details. Darren, where do people find
2: you? net for things pseudo-technically related. And Darren Duke, all one word, uh, for my 140-character rants on Twitter. And I won't be commenting on Facebook because I am not on Facebook. And don't I feel like a smug bastard <laughs> right now? <laughs> <laughs> Have
1: you used Google Plus yet? Goodness me uh, sexual Sandy will be after
2: you <laughs> <laughs> She has to find me first I'm only on Twitter So she hasn't got, She hasn't got a lot of avenues to get me
1: This is true And Rob Where do people find you?
3: Uh, they can find me Blog, Twitter and LinkedIn At Lotus Rockstar And Facebook and Skype At Rob Novak And uh, R Novak at snaps.com With two P's Excellent. And will you
1: be Will you be becoming ICS Rockstar or IBM Social Rockstar?
3: <laughs> no, I'm going to stick to the tree for a while. <laughs>
1: Excellent. Good to hear
3: until it. Product until the last product loses the name.
1: Okay, I think you'll be around oh, for a while with that name. Then
2: that's that's a good idea. That, that'll be a while. We, we might actually be really seventy then. Yes. <laughs>
1: Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Rob, Paul, Darren, thank you for being on the podcast this week. So until next week, this was This Week in Lotus.
0: Bye. All opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the participants only and do not necessarily represent those of their employer.
2: And here endeth the streak.
1: Yes, you're missing next week.
2: I am. Will he come back for 72 or will he resign? That's the question.
1: Oh, You better be back for 72.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Have you found someone else to do it next week?
1: Get Charlie Sheen to do it.